for food purposes, we need to know who's coming. So uh, in the next two weeks, two weeks from today is the deadline to have uh, registered for that. So please do that today. Uh, even you have uh, permission, dispensation to do that now while I'm talking on, the, on, our, on our church app on your phone to go ahead and, and register. But that'll be three weeks from today. Our midweek program, our Wednesday program, starts up again on the 20th, September the 20th. And a few things about that. One, the things that are going to be offered for classes, but also the time for that. You see the time, 6 to 7.30. That's a full hour earlier than what we've done in the past. We're experimenting with that. The experiment may go south uh, because it's too early for too many people. We will, we will see. Uh, but understand that we're trying to make it so more people can be here. Uh, some people can't come, we are told, because starting as late as we do and ending as late as we do makes it difficult, especially on school. It's a school night for those that have little ones. So we're starting earlier, ending earlier. We're hoping that that will allow more of our families to, to be here. But as Pastor Larry said first hour, we also know that means on the front end that that makes it tight coming in from soccer practice uh, or Come, just coming from work or school or whatever to be here by 6 to try to get dinner before that. So we are offering dinner from 5 to 6. We will, for those who register for dinner, and there'll be a, a cost for that, just uh, whatever the cost of the, every week it'll be something different. Um, pizza one week, tacos, you know, one week subs another week. But each week you will sign up and say, I'd like that and this is how many and uh, we'll have it here ready for you to go. So we're hoping that that will help people that are on the run coming in, but, but we will see. So please note the time, 6 to 7.30. And during that period, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. We have nursery and toddler. So if you have little ones, we have a ministry for them. But then we have elementary age ministry through our Pioneer Club. Uh, and Pioneer Club requires registration as well. So parents, if you haven't registered, your kids for that, please, please do so. And then we have for junior high and senior high, high impact ministry as well. So all of our uh, non-adults under adult age, there's ministry for all of them. And then the adults will be in our community institute. And we have three classes going on in community institute. One of those is uh, through the book of Romans. We're going to have Dr. Ryan Meyer here. Some of you have taken Ryan for class in the past. The last year he taught through two semesters through the book of Matthew. He's an excellent teacher. He's going to do one semester through the book of Romans. And I will be teaching our Master Plan for Life class. That's a systematic theology for regular people. That's what we call it. It it's, goes through the doctrines of Scripture, but does so in a way that you can understand. That's what it's designed to do. And it is one of the two foundational classes that we urge everybody in our church to take. When you go through our newcomers orientation, uh, which I'll be talking about in a minute, in a little bit, uh, when you go through that, I highlight this class and another class as something we want everybody to take because we think that then grounds you in truth and in how to get, get around in your Bible. And so this is one of those two. And if you've never taken Master Plan for Life, then even though the Romans class is going to be great, you can't take it. You've got to take the uh, Master Plan for Life class. So your criteria for deciding if you're taking it or not is have you taken it. If you haven't taken it, then you should register for that one. And then there'll be a third class, and that is for parents. And it's gospel-centered 
parenting. Pastor Larry and Julie are going to be leading that. And as Pastor Larry mentioned in the first hour, a number of ask about a parenting class because uh, the last two years, uh, our ladies on Friday mornings that can make it have been taking the excellent Entrusted series, Entrusted with a Child's Heart on Friday mornings. That's going to start up again next month also. But out of that, having a time where the men and the women could be together for gospel-centered pairing. If you're a single parent, you're welcome to come to this, of course, as, as well. So those are the three classes that we're going to have. It all starts on the 20th, September the 20th, so we're a month away from that. Our new community groups, community groups meet in homes. They meet on the first and third Sundays of each month, and the groups are together for two years, two calendar years, and then we regroup them. We're at the end today, as a matter of fact, is the final meeting for the current groups that have been together for two years. And so we're restarting. This is open enrollment time, so the perfect time for you to uh, register to be a part of a community group. So over the next couple of weeks, we need you to do that because we get this list and then we have some people who break the, the, the list of enrollees into various groups. There's a lot of criteria that need to be used for that. Like we ask you, do you have any allergies? Do you have a cat allergies, dog allergies? So we got to put you in a, an appropriate home for that. Uh, people who say, I can't drive very far, well, then we got to try to find, put you in one that's close to your house. It's really quite hard to do, actually. Uh, but we have some people who dedicate themselves to doing it. And notice I say we have some people who dedicate themselves. Uh, I'm not identifying those people because if you don't like the group you're in, you blame those people. If you, if you uh, want to be in a particular group and you want to game the system, uh, then you try to get to those people, you try to bribe them, you try to threaten them. There's all kinds of shenanigans that go on with that. And so we just leave those people secret and let them do their thing. But on a serious note, it is hard to do. And part of the genius of community groups is to watch God's providence at work in whatever group you wind up in. And so I would just really encourage you to do that, to go to your group, your new group, and those first few weeks of the group, you are probably, if you had a good experience at the group you've been in for two years, which, I, which I've had with my group, and we're all going to be sad to break up tonight. So then we go into our next group, and for the first few weeks, it's just not going to feel like the old group. That just goes with it. But take that as God's providence that God has some uh, bonding for you to do with the people in this group. That God has moved ahead of you before you even got into this group to determine that he's going to do something in your life and use you in somebody else's life. And so stay with it. Stay with it. And if you only ever hang around with the people that are just in your demographic or the people that you like, then you're not being challenged in ways that all of us need to, one. Two, uh, we need intergenerational ministry. And one of the criteria that the folks who break up the groups use is that. They don't put all people in the same age group in a group. Now, that would be most of our first inclination, that put me in a group with you know, young, other young families. Uh, it's not to say there won't be another young family in there if you're a young family, but we try to make sure that you're in there with some older people because the Bible teaches in Titus chapter 2 that older women are to teach younger women, older men are to teach younger men, and in many of our churches, they actually never mix, so I don't know how that ever happens. So it really is by design, it has a good rationale to it, and your cooperation with it 
uh, will help quite a bit. And I urge you to be involved in a community group. It's one of the core ministries of our church. Over two years, you get an opportunity to make friendships. Then you move on two years later to some other people, but you don't lose those friendships. Part of the glue that holds this church together, I'm absolutely convinced, is that people have gotten to know each other in community groups. And then they've continued those friendships, and then they've expanded gradually their circle of people that they are connected to. And all of that helps you in your spiritual walk, and you help them in their spiritual walk. That's all the idea, okay? So that will restart October 1st, Sunday, October 1st. So please register. October the 8th, this hour, we will start a new series called God's Design for Sexuality. We're going to send mailers around to the community for that. And we have invitations on the a welcome center desk for you to pick up small size invitations that you can uh, take a handful of those and give those to some folks to invite them. This class, Personality of Sin, has today and next week. And then we don't start the God's Design for Sexuality, as you see, till October 8th. So that means between September 3 and October 1, this hour, then what, what's going to be happening? We're going to end this class next week. And then what? For the next five Sundays. Well, for four of those five Sundays, uh, I'm going to be leading our newcomers orientation class. And that's for those of you that are new to CBC. You'd like to know more about our church. We offer that for you for that purpose. You get a booklet of material. It's about 60 pages worth. And over four Sundays, starting on September 10th, during this hour, I'll go through that stuff with you to help you make a decision about whether this is where God would have you serve and grow. Uh, while I'm doing that, we're going to have guys in here teaching those of you that are not in that. So you'll be in here, and we'll have other guys that I'll mention in a minute teaching this, this class. September 3rd, two weeks from today, it's Labor Day weekend, and our family is going out of town. So I won't be here that Sunday at all. So here's the schedule for those five Sundays. On September 3rd, when I'm out of town completely, our brother Billy Cochran is going to be preaching first hour. Second hour of that day, uh, Pastor Larry is going to teach in here. The following week, on the 10th, Dr. Combs is going to teach. The following two Sundays, the 17th and the 24th, David Brinkley is going to have this hour, and he's going to be focusing on community groups and teaching on some of the stuff the Bible says about relationships and one another's and how community groups help us to do that. Why David for that? Because David and Christy are in charge of community groups. Now, it doesn't mean David and Christy are the people creating the groups. Okay, I didn't give that away, right? They're delegating that to other people. But those two weeks, 17th, 24th, David's going to be highlighting uh, community groups. And then uh, on the 1st, October the 1st, Pastor Rich is going to teach. Okay? So that's everything that's, uh, that's going on. All right. I told you all last week that I had a couple of run-ins. And I had a run-in with a person at the deli counter. Some of you were here last week. And, uh, and I also had this weird experience at the hospital trying to visit a, a CBCer. Uh, so I did go back for my weekly shopping for my in-laws uh, this past week. And I had determined that if I saw the person with whom I had the difficulty, I was going to go, and if I have opportunity, that means there aren't a bunch of people around, so that, that I'm going to say, hey, I am sorry about last week. 
I determined to do that. Now, I go on Mondays, Monday afternoons. That's my day off. I couldn't go. This is one that literally, like in the last three years, I think this might be the only Monday I haven't been able to go on a Monday. So it was Tuesday afternoon that I went to shop for my in-laws. And I looked over at the deli counter, and that person was not there. And it happens that my in-laws didn't need anything from the deli counter. They didn't want anything from the deli counter that day either. So I'm just bringing you up to speed. That did, nothing happened with that this past week. Now, um, tomorrow, I'm hoping to do the same thing. I'm hoping to find the person and have opportunity to say, to say I'm sorry about what happened two weeks ago. I will let you know how it, how it goes. In all seriousness, if you think about it, perhaps pray about that, that that will go well. For those of you that weren't here last week and you don't know what it is I'm talking about, you can watch all of the things you miss on our website <laughs> and you can see what it is I was confessing to. But that introduces something very important now to continue our series, The Personality of Sin. And that is that we have difficulty confessing. If we're, if we're honest, we have difficulty confessing our sin. We have difficulty owning our sin. I do. You do as well. But the problem with having the problem of confession, the problem with that is you can't fix what you don't admit is broken. If you don't face up to where you are, you can't move on to where you need to go. So you have to own it. And yet owning it for us is, is difficult. Confessing is difficult. We do things like we, we will say, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Now notice, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I mean, did you hurt them? Could it be that you say, I'm sorry that I hurt you? But we, you know, we qualify it just a little bit. It takes the sting out a little. Sorry if I hurt you. Maybe I was wrong. You just got one too many words in that one, okay? I was wrong would be perfect, but we throw in the maybe. Hey, let's just forget the past. Now, that sounds like a noble approach to take. Let's just move on. But if you're the person who's been hurt, that's not so easy, is it? So very often that is offered by the person who, who committed the offense, telling the offended, let's just move on. When in fact, the offended needs some help moving on. And part of that help comes from you, confessing, owning, and then so we can hopefully reconcile. Or we say something, you know, look, I shouldn't have yelled at you, but you made me so mad. So, you know, I'm, I'm not just owning my stuff, I'm putting it, back, putting it back on you. And that list could go on and on and, and on. So we have a hard time confessing, and even when we do get around to confessing, we usually fudge it in some way by adding some weasel words is what I call it. Weasel words. Now, but, but confession is integral 
to spiritual growth. You can't move on unless you own where you are. And so it's integral, it's, it's, it's essential to spiritual growth. And confession in Scripture, the word means to say the same thing. So confession is saying the same thing that God says about it. See, that's why maybe I was wrong doesn't fly. Because that's not confession. That's not what God says about it. God says, no, you were wrong. Straight up, you were wrong. Yes, you did hurt this person. Not if I hurt. So owning it means saying what God says about it. Seeing it the way God does. Owning that and then being willing in humility to, to speak that. Now, over the years, I have made a distinction. I still maintain that this distinction is, is helpful, but it's been misunderstood sometimes, and that, that may be because I haven't clearly explained it. So I'll try to clearly explain it. But I make a, a distinction between I'm sorry and forgive me. That there are times that are appropriate for both. I'm sorry is for accidents. I'm sorry is when I didn't sin, but nevertheless, I regret that something happened. So notice the deli, the deli situation. I'm saying I'm sorry about what happened two weeks ago, and I am. But I'm not asking forgiveness because I don't think I sinned. I don't think. Now, if I, if I sinned, then that's just me failing to confess and that's on me but nevertheless even if you didn't sin in what you did in your interaction with somebody nevertheless you could and should feel bad that there's been a breach between you and so you can and should say I am I'm sorry about that you know on a much smaller scale we do this all the time like if we bump into each other we say oh I'm sorry right and that's the appropriate word. You don't say, forgive me for bumping into you. You accidentally bumped into somebody, but nevertheless, you regret that you bumped into them. Or you accidentally knocked something out of their hand, and so you say, I'm sorry, you apologize. So that's often what we think of when we say confession, but that's not what I'm talking about. I think it's a, a valid category and an important category. But I'm sorry is for accidents or regrets Forgiveness is for sin. And the way it's been misunderstood over the years is some have thought that I'm saying that if it's not sin, then you don't necessarily have to worry about it. No, I'm saying concern yourself with both, both categories. If something's gone awry for whatever reason, even if you didn't sin, you should still want that to be rectified. And so, apologize. Say, I'm sorry. Seek to see that fixed. But the reason I want to reserve forgiveness for sin is because I want us to take sin seriously. I don't want us to label everything as sin. But when we have sinned, we need to take it, we need to take it seriously. The offender. I also don't want the offended to be able to define everything as sin. 
You guys know what, I, what I'm saying? That there are people who think that they are sinned against when in fact they weren't. They just didn't like the way it went. They just didn't like something that you said. They didn't like, you know, some look you had. They, you know, whatever. It's not sin, but they're offend, easily offended. And so for them, if I'm offended, you sinned. And that's a false definition of sin. Because who does that put at the center of sin? You and how you feel about it. But sin is actually a much more objective thing that has God as the standard. And sin is failing to live up in word or deed to the character of God. In some way, if I've sinned against you, I've failed to display the character of God in what I said or what I did. And you were probably offended by that. And I need to make that right by seeking your forgiveness because I sinned. But every offense that one takes is not necessarily a sin. So I've tried to maintain these two categories of things that are not sin but nevertheless need to be rectified so that not everything is called a sin and so that the offended party does not regularly come and define everything that bothers them as sin against them. And I've seen people do this over the years. So I recommend that you maintain this, this uh, distinction that I'm sorry is for accidents and, and regrets and forgiveness is for sin. Now, so important is this issue of handling confession, saying the same thing, that peacemaker ministries, there's a, there's a ministry called that peacemaker. There's a book called The Peacemaker. Pretty thick book, very helpful book. It's in our resource center, written by a guy named Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E. And so if you're concerned about interpersonal relationships and re reconciling interpersonal relationships, I recommend The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy in our resource center. But Peacemaker Ministries has put out a list that you can find online or I'd be happy to send it to you. But they have what they call the seven A's of confession. They've got seven things that that points that start with the letter A to help us have a fulsome approach to confession. And, and here's what they are. The first of the seven A's of confession is address everyone involved. That is, all those whom you have affected by what you did. Address everyone involved. Now, in James chapter 5, in James chapter 5, uh, it says, confess your sins to one another. And there's been debate over the years about the circle of who the one another is. Some have understood that to mean that I get in a small group, I get in a community group, some gathering of other Christians, and I've got some sin, and I just need somebody that I confess this to that it's, it's, it's a helpful exercise for me to humble myself and to get it out in the open and to have other people pray for me and, and all of that. And so confess your sins to one another means having, according to this approach, 
have a regular practice of having people that you trust that you can then confess what's going on in your life and what you need prayer for and so on. Now, that, you know, I could see some, I could see some healthy things out of that. It does take humility to do that. Uh, having people pray for you that you can confide in to do that is certainly a, a healthy thing. So I'm not dismissing it as foolish. I don't believe it's what James chapter 5 is saying. In fact, I don't think the Bible teaches that you are obligated to confess to any beyond the circle of people affected by your sin. That, as a matter of fact, the Bible goes out of its way to keep the circle as tight as possible. You all remember in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go to your brother, and if he hears you, you've won your brother, and you leave it there. But then Jesus says, if he will not hear you, and they've sinned against you, you want to see, this is my paraphrase, you want to see that person grow in the Lord by getting that right. You know, you're not trying to get vengeance or any of that. Take two or three others along so that every word might be established in the presence of, of two or three witnesses. And it only goes further if it has to go further. The ideal is that it's kept between the people that are in, involved. That's what Jesus says. And so I don't take James chapter 5 to mean you, you confess your sins to, you confess to everyone who is involved, everybody who is affected. I recently, a few weeks ago, I had a, a brother come to me having some personal struggles and they are truly personal. I mean, if he, if he doesn't come to me and tell me, I certainly wouldn't know. And the only reason he's coming to tell me is to get help. And so the only two persons prior to that who know are him and, and God. But he said to me, I know I need to confess this too. And he had this you know, wider circle of people. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't need to go and tell anybody that's not affected by it. And so confession addresses everyone involved, everyone affected. That's the first of the seven A's. But do address everyone involved. Secondly, avoid, I'm plugging in weasel words, avoid weasel words. They say avoid if, but, and maybe. That is, do not try to excuse your wrongs. So don't weasel when you say it. Just say it straight out. Admit or excuse me, avoid, if, but, maybe. Third one is admit. Admit specifically. I said X to you, and I sinned in what I said. Will you forgive me? So you admit specifically. And admit attitudes and actions. I came to you with the, the wrong attitude, or I reacted to you with the wrong attitude. Will you forgive me? So address everyone involved, avoid weasel words, admit specifically attitudes and actions, acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge that in what you did, you may have probably did hurt the other person. 
So express sorrow for the fact that you hurt the person. I regret that I hurt you in sinning against you. This goes a very long way toward reconciliation because the person sees a measure of you getting it and owning it. You recognize the impact that this has had on, on me. You see how that's so different than the, hey, let's just put the past, let's just move on? The just move on piece is, I'm dying here. Fifthly, accept the consequences. That is, there might be something you've got to make up. There might be some restitution. You know, I'm just making things up. You borrowed somebody's car. They didn't know on Friday nights you sometimes get drunk. I'm just making this up. And you go out and crash their car. You know, you've got a lot of explaining to do, don't you? So you've got to address, you've got to avoid, you've got to admit, and you've got to accept consequences. You've got to try to make it right. You've damaged something uh, for this person. But it may not just be physical, it may be emotional. And so try to make emotional restitution by not expecting this person to immediately be able to get over what, what happened. The depth of the hurt may take some time. And so invest in that person emotionally. Sixthly, alter your behavior. So you've got to address everyone involved, avoid the weasel words, admit specifically your attitudes and actions, acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences, including making physical or emotional restitution, Sixthly, alter your behavior. Change those attitudes and actions. You know, so going forward, you see the damage that this has done. You acknowledge that to the person that you've, that you've harmed. But first and most important, you acknowledge it to God. We will get to Psalm 51 in our series on the Psalms in a few weeks. But in Psalm 51... There, you want to see some confession in the Bible. You've got some serious confession. And it's David confessing to the Lord his sin. And David had sinned against a whole bunch of people. Talk about addressing everybody involved. I mean, he writes a, he writes a psalm that's been, been around for 3,000 years now. <laughs> okay, For all of us to read about David's sin. But he's in Psalm 51, he's first and foremost, he's confessing to God. At one point, he says this, against you and you only have I sinned. When in fact, there's a whole bunch of strewn bodies around that he has sinned against on a human level. But by far the most important always when we sin is our offense against God. And then seventh is ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. My dear wife, um, in raising our girls, she did her level best to put these kinds of things into practice in our home. And it was not unusual in our home for me to walk by our two girls, Lainey and Annie, when they were little, and they're you know, together, they're interacting, 
They're in the room, the door, one of the rooms, the door's open or something, but, you know, I just walk by them and I hear them. And often, I would hear one say to the other, I sinned against you. When I, will you forgive me? Girls were little, and they're doing this. Now, that helped them immensely. That helped them in their relationship with each other. Most of all, it helped them in their relationship with the Lord. They learned at an early age humility about the most important issue in the universe, namely our relationship with God, and then as that's expressed in our relationship to other people. So, mom and dad, I recommend early on you implement that in the lives of your, lives of your kids. We could add an eighth A to this list, and that would be allow time. It's related to the fourth one, which is acknowledge the hurt, for hurt you know, that you've hurt someone. But allow time when you've deeply disappointed or you've hurt or you wronged someone, they may need some time to process their emotions and come to a point of, of forgiveness. So how can I come to a point, how can you come to a point where you own your stuff and you confess it? And you begin to make that a habit in your life. Instead of it being this just arduous hill that I've got to, I've got to take. Well, here's, here's my suggestion to you. I suggest to you that the gospel creates transparency. The gospel creates transparency. The gospel creates transparency. You see... Everything except the biblical good news of Jesus Christ, every other religious system other than that, has you in some way, shape, or form climbing your way to God. There's some ladder that you climb. There's some set of good works, sacraments, whatever it is, for you to stay in the good graces of God. It's a, work, it's a work system. That's the natural bent of humanity. The gospel of God's grace completely reverses that. It has not you making your way to God, but God coming to you. And in his grace, doing for you what you could not do for yourself. That good news, that gospel, that direction, God coming to us and doing the work on our behalf, I suggest to you creates transparency if you embrace it. And here's why. If you have a works-oriented system, one of the things that you will work at doing is lessening the, the burden of things that you have to atone for. You want to keep that list as small as possible. You want to see yourself as a good person. And so, acknowledging little stuff, piddly stuff, is just going to add to the burden of what I'm having to carry with me in order to recommend myself to God and feel, frankly, good about myself. So there's a psychological thing that goes on with people where they want to minimize the burden of their own wrongdoing and therefore can't admit it, don't want to admit it. 
But see, in the gospel, in the gospel, you are way worse than you ever thought. You say, wait a minute, I thought it was good news. Well, see, it is, it's marvelous news. Tim Keller's the guy who, you know, uh, he is with the Lord now as of May, uh, said lots of profound things. He's the guy that gets credit for saying, you know, uh, cheer up, you're, you're way worse than you thought. <laughs> but it turns out he's actually not the guy who coined that. There's some more obscure guy named Jack Miller who I learned about when I took classes at Westminster in Philadelphia, and Jack Miller taught there. He's actually the guy who coined that. Anyway, and, and, and Keller was one of his colleagues for a period of time, so he stole it from Jack Miller. But, you know, he would say, they would say, cheer up, you're way worse than you ever thought. Because you think about the depth of your sin. See, the works-oriented thing just keeps track of the stuff you can see, the stuff you can make up for, do the best you can. When you stand before the pearly gates, Peter's going to be there. He's going to weigh your good and your bad. He's going to decide if you get in. That's what people think. The problem is your sin is way worse than that. It's way deeper than all of that. It's your thoughts. It's your words. It's your actions. It's your attitudes. It's the, it's the sins of omission, the things you fail to think and say and do that you're supposed to. It's way worse how are you ever going to recommend yourself to God? And here God comes in this direction to you and does for you what you could not do for yourself in Jesus Christ. And he takes the full burden, the full weight of all of your sin. One of our songs says, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. Every piece Jesus took. If you embrace that, if you delight in that, then you're no longer trying to shed stuff and decide just what's the big stuff. You can face it all, the so-called small stuff. And hear this. You no longer have to cover it because Jesus covered it. What freedom that I no longer have to cover it. I no longer have to take care of it. I no longer have to atone for it. Jesus has covered it, so I can admit it. And I can confess it. The gospel allows the transparency that confession that confession needs. So, I don't know why we give you a sheet each week. I mean, you might want to pass notes to each other. This shows how old I am. You're probably just texting each other. And if I were to confiscate all phones at this point, I am certain that there would be 10 or 20 where someone has texted, why did he give us these sheets? Look at your sheet. And bring it back with you next week. <laughs> but look, look at it. But here's why through that whole thing, okay? Because we left off last week and I said you should an we should analyze our characteristic ways of sinning, which means going long and going deep. 
in that going long piece, you're going into your past. You're thinking into your past. You're making uh, a significant emotional event timeline, the SEEs. And you're identifying things in your life that were significant emotionally, good and bad. And then particularly with the, the bad, the difficult things. Taking a look at those now and, and looking at how those have affected you. How am I still carrying that around with me? That's, that's the purpose for it. Identify these significant emotional events. Then first, look at the difficult ones. And then ask yourself, how, am I, how have I been carrying those around with me? Or to put it another way, how have I been reacting to that? Now, I've got to be careful in the way I say this. Because I don't want to make, I don't want to pile on to an already hurtful situation. Some of you may have deep, deep, hurtful things in your past. They may be in your distant past. They may be in your not-so-distant past. And so please understand I am not minimizing the hurt, the genuine hurt, and the victimization. I'm not trying to make the victim the perpetrator. Victimization is a thing. It's a real thing. And it takes all kinds of forms. And some of them are very heinous forms with very long-lasting effects. But with everything that happens to us, we react to it. So for every act, we react. So we need to ask ourselves, all of us, with these significant emotional events, how have I been reacting? How long have I been reacting? In what ways have I allowed someone else's sin to cause me to sin in the lives of other people? It's possible to do, is it not? I'm angry I'm bitter, perhaps completely understandably so, for what some way did, but I've never dealt with that. And in never dealing with that, I'm reacting out of that anger and out of that bitterness toward other people. And I need to be able to confess that. That's why I went through the whole confession. I need to be able to own that. Not own what the person did to you. Own your reaction to what somebody's doing to you. Over, over years. It takes time. It may take a number of years. You may never fully overcome it this side of, this side of heaven. But be willing to, and you can, because Jesus has covered it, so you can face it. And you can face yourself in how you've reacted to, in particular, the negative emotional events in your past. Now, I've highlighted the negative emotional events. 
you can also sin in reaction to the good emotional events. You say, how? You know, you do your timeline, and you say, you know, man, I remember we used to go to the lake every, every week, and those were some of the greatest times of my life. Thank God for those. So now it's possible for you to make an idol out of going to the lake. I got to have going to the lake. Going to the lake is my happy place. It's not, by the way, but I like going to the lake. In fact, we're going to the lake Labor Day weekend. To a poor man's Ludington. What's the name of that place we're going to? I can't remember it. It's... um, Anybody know where I'm going? <laughs> where is it? What is it? No, not St. Joseph. St. Joseph's great. Are you kidding? And this place is great too. I just can't remember. Pentwater. We're going to Pentwater. It's on Lake Michigan. It's a poor man's Ludington. That's what I call it. Okay? It's about an hour from Ludington, but not as expensive as Ludington. That's where we're going. And I look forward to it. We're going to be on Lake Michigan. It's beautiful. We've been there. We've been there before. But you can, you can make an idol out of the good things rather than simply enjoying the good things and then using that enjoyment to energize you for the larger things that God has called you to do. You make that an end in itself. So take a look at those significant emotional events, the negative ones especially, and then ask yourself, how have I reacted to those good, negative and, and positive? And whether there's there are things that we need to confess. Bring your sheet back with you next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the blessings of this day, uh, the opportunity to worship you, to be with your people, to have your word open before us in Psalm number 8, to sing praise to you, to give back to you, to enjoy each other's company and sharpen one another and encourage one another. Thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us about relationships. You are a relational God with love from eternity past between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you have made us as relational beings to reflect that love in our relationships with one another, but sin has broken that. And so thank you for giving us instruction about how to repair it, how to reconcile it. Help me, help us to put that into practice this coming week in the circumstances that you bring our way. We ask you to grant us safety and to bring us back together next Lord's Day. In the name of Jesus, amen.